Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Well, earlier this week, I posted on social media that I was working on a sermon on God's will, specifically God's will in prayer, and even more specifically, God's will when it comes to those prayers that we pray, those prayers that we offer, and it seems as if God does not respond to those prayers. And so I asked people on social media, as they felt comfortable, to open up and to share with me their own struggles, their own issues with seemingly unanswered prayer. And that's when somebody from our congregation reached out to me and sent me a note. Uh, I'm not going to disclose this person's name, but with her permission, I am going to share her story. This is what she wrote to me. My dad was sick a lot when I was young. The doctors could never figure out how to help him, so he was sent to the National Institute of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, for research. They found out that he had a very rare cancer, one that is still to this day very rare. Nothing could be done, we were told. The doctors gave him one to two days to live after he had been there for a year. But my mom had strong faith in God and said, where there's breath, there's hope. My dad lived five years in the VA hospital in Richmond since no other hospital would take him, and he was a veteran. Everyone was praying his family had a very strong faith background, which of course affected me. I knew that if we prayed, in my mind, my dad would get better. He died a month before his 42nd birthday. I was 15 years old. I was very angry and voiced to everyone that there is no God. And prayer does not work. God let me down. I stopped believing in him. I stopped believing in prayer. I felt so stupid for believing that prayer would work. I believe so strongly that if you pray to God, God will answer. My attitude was so very upsetting to my mother that she had our pastor talk to me, but I was reluctant to do that. Why did God let my dad suffer so long and then die? It took a while, but soon I was back in church. As an adult, I do believe in the power of God, but I still have trouble at times with prayer. This person is not alone. The longer I've been a pastor, the longer I've been in ministry, the more I've come to understand from people how deeply painful, how incredibly painful, seemingly unanswered prayer can be. Somebody is sick, and then the hospital, perhaps that person is dying, and so we pray to God to physically heal that person. The physical healing doesn't happen, and the person passes away. Or maybe we're out of work and we need a new job. We have no way to provide for our family. We're struggling to make ends meet. And so we go on a whole bunch of interviews. We pray for a new job. Six months go by. Nine months go by. A year goes by. And that new job hasn't come. Or maybe our marriage is in trouble. 
our spouse is threatening to leave. And so we pray, God, please heal my broken marriage. Please help my spouse to love me again. And yet the spouse still divorces us. Chances are all of us have been in a situation like this. We know in the depth of who we are how deeply painful seemingly unanswered prayer can be. And a big part of what adds to this pain is when we hear people around us celebrate how God has answered their prayer for something trivial, something minor, something small, something that in the grand scheme of things really doesn't matter or make any kind of difference. You know what I'm talking about? For example, I remember somebody telling me that she knew of a person, this is a true story, who was in the parking lot at the mall, and it must have been around Christmas time because the mall was incredibly packed and she could not find a parking space, and so she just suddenly prayed to God, God, please help me find a good parking space. And lo and behold, right there in front of Macy's, the parking space became available. Hallelujah, she said. God answered my prayer. Or I remember another person sharing that he was late to an appointment, he was trying to find his car keys, and he just suddenly prayed, God, please help me find my car keys, and then all of a sudden his car keys were there on the coffee table. So wait a minute. Does God answer a prayer about good parking spaces in front of Macy's? Last car keys, but not about people who are dying or people who need a job or people whose marriage is falling apart? How exactly does prayer work? What's the purpose of prayer? And why does God seem to answer some prayers but not others? These are the questions that I would like our congregation to explore this morning. Uh, we are now in the second week of our three-part sermon series that we've entitled God's Will Unraveling the Mystery. God's Will Unraveling the Mystery. And so as a reminder, in these messages, uh, we are looking at Scripture, the Bible, and we're trying to understand what the, what the Bible has to say, what the Bible has to teach about the will of God so that we as Christians can better understand the mystery behind God's will. And so in last week's message, the inaugural message for the sermon series, uh, we looked at God's will for our individual lives. Uh, we talked about what it means to say that God has a will for our lives. Well, in this message, we're going to shift gears and we're going to look at God's will when it comes to prayer, especially when it comes to seemingly unanswered prayer. Seemingly unanswered prayer is painful. As we said a moment ago, it's hard, it's difficult. But not only is it painful and hard and difficult, it's also confusing. It's confusing when we consider some of Jesus' own words about prayer. Because Jesus himself and the Gospels seem to indicate on several occasions, not just on one occasion, but on several occasions, that unanswered prayer would never exist. It would never be a reality. That if you and I come to God in good faith and we ask God for something, whatever that thing is, that God's going to give us what we're asking for. For example... Take a listen to these words from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, uh, verse 7. Jesus spoke these words the very last night of his life as he was with the disciples in the upper room. He said, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for what? Anything you want. Hold on to that word, anything. It's going to show up several more, more times. Anything you want and it will be granted. Really? Anything we want? That's a pretty bold claim. Jesus also makes a similar claim in Matthew chapter 18. It's also up here on the screen. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning 
anything you ask, there's that word anything again, anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. So, folks, does this mean when we as Christians collectively pray about something and think about all the things that we've collectively prayed for, that God's going to give us what we're asking for? A surface-level reading of this verse would seem to indicate that. And then finally, if these two examples aren't enough, just one more example. This is Matthew 21, just a few chapters later, uh, verses 21 and 22. Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You could pray for what? Anything. And if you have faith, you will receive it. Jesus offers some pretty bold words about prayer. What our prayers can accomplish, what our prayers can achieve if those prayers are offered to God in good faith. And yet we all know from our own experience, I don't have to convince you of this, you already know this to be true, we all know from our own experience, it doesn't always work this way, it's not always that easy, it's really that simple. Just because we ask God for something, and listen, I'm not talking about something trivial and ridiculous like a good parking space at Macy's, I'm talking about something serious, like for somebody to be healed from cancer. Just because we ask God for something does not necessarily mean that we are automatically going to receive it. So what's going on? How do we make sense of Jesus' words here in the Gospels, from the Gospel of John and also from the Gospel of Matthew? Well, one response that some Christians have offered to make sense of Jesus' words, and for the record, um, I do not subscribe to this response. This is not what I believe. But this is a response. I did this last week in the message. I'm going to give us some answers that people have given. Well, this is one response that some Christians have given in response, in, in response to this question about making sense of Jesus' words. Uh, they'll say, well, we must be doing something wrong. We must have done something to have upset God or offend God or tick God off. That's why God's not answering our prayer. For instance, it's not uncommon in these conversations to hear Christians, and yes, even pastors, quote the New Testament letter of James, which says the following in James chapter 4, uh, the second half of verse 2, as well as verse 3, it says, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it. Why? Because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. And so some Christians quote James, and they say, well, the reason we're not getting what we're praying for is we're praying with the wrong motives. Here's something we should keep in mind when reading Scripture. In fact, this was given to me by my seminary professor. A text without a context is the pretext for whatever we want it to mean. A text without a context is the pretext for whatever we want it to mean. You see, the problem with that reading of this passage is that that reading actually doesn't hold weight when we look at the larger context of the passage. Because in this passage, James is not talking about asking God for um, good and appropriate things, and this is up here on the screen. He's not talking about asking God for good and appropriate things, like healing from cancer. Can we get the slide up here, please? There we go. Instead, he's talking about asking God for unholy things, like worldly influence and power. That's what he means when he says these words in verse 3. You want only what will give you pleasure. In other words, he's saying, you want these ungodly things, these worldly things, this influence, this power. So 
quoting this verse when it comes to our struggles with seemingly unanswered prayer and saying that our motives are wrong, our motives are out of place, well, that does not do justice to what this passage is actually speaking about. It does not reflect responsible engagement with Scripture. Well, another response that some Christians have offered and that we must have done something wrong category is they'll say, we lack faith. We lack trust. We lack confidence in God. If only we had more faith and more trust and more confidence, then God would answer our prayer. I think I've shared this story several times in the past that uh, when I was in college, I had a friend of mine um, whose mom died of cancer. Um, everybody had prayed for her to get better, but unfortunately, she still passed away. And shortly after she passed away, uh, the pastor was talking to the family. And thankfully, this pastor is not their pastor anymore because during that conversation, he said to them, and he really said this, he said, well, if only you'd have more faith, maybe she'd be, still be here. A statement like that is spiritual malpractice. Just like medical professionals can commit malpractice, pastors and church leaders commit spiritual malpractice with statements like that. And actually, a statement like that contradicts the witness of Scripture because in Scripture, we find God doing just the opposite. In Scripture, we find God responding to people, answering prayer, healing people, even though their faith wasn't the strongest. For example, in Mark chapter 9, uh, there's this father. He has a son who's possessed by a demon, and the demon is wreaking havoc on the boy's body, tossing him in the fire and in the water. And the father, in great distress, he comes to the disciples, but the disciples can't cast out the demon. And so then he comes to Jesus, and with great desperation, he says, Jesus, please heal my boy. Please, please exercise this demon. And then he says, if you are able. Do you remember how Jesus responds? If you are able, anything is possible for the one who believes. This is how the father responds. This is Mark chapter 9, verse 24. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Did this man believe in the power of Jesus? Did he believe that Jesus could cast out this demon? Yes, but he only believed this to a degree. Like the rest of us, he also had doubts and struggles. Guess what happened? Jesus still healed his boy. Folks, my encouragement to us this morning is that if our prayer isn't being answered as we want it to be answered, not to necessarily assume, please do not for one moment assume that we must be doing something wrong. It's not that we're perfect. None of us are perfect. It's not that God doesn't want us to grow and mature in our journey of faith. Of course God does. But here's what we have to remember. God does not answer our prayers because we are holy. God answers our prayers because God is holy. God does not answer our prayers because of who we are or what we've done. God answers our prayers because of who God is. God alone is perfect and God alone is good. All right, so if that's not the reason that we're doing something wrong, why is it that some prayers don't seem to be answered, even though Jesus himself said in the Gospels that if we ask God for something, whatever it is, that God's going to give it to us? How do we make sense of that? Well, it's helpful for us to remember 
that when God came among us 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus Christ, and as Christians, we do believe that in Jesus, as Paul says in Colossians 1, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Well, when God came among us in Jesus Christ, Jesus was a first century rabbi. He spoke like a first century rabbi. He preached like a first century rabbi. He taught like a first century rabbi. And there was a rhetorical device that rabbis would often employ in their teaching back then. Do you know what it was called? Hyperbole. What's hyperbole? Here's a good definition of hyperbole. Hyperbole is when we purposely exaggerate or overstate in order to get our point across. And actually, hyperbole is not unique to rabbis in the first century because the truth is, we use hyperbole today, don't we? In the year 2022? In fact, you know who uses hyperbole a lot? Children do. Yeah, parents do as well, but children do. For example, oftentimes in our house, it's early in the morning, man and I wake up, we get out of bed, one of us is unloading the dishwasher uh, that we ran from the night before, the other one is uh, packing lunches for the kids, something like that, making breakfast, and all of a sudden, our children will emerge from their bedrooms. Normally, Noah's the first one to wake up, and as Noah comes out of his bedroom and he comes into the kitchen, he'll make this statement without fail nearly every morning. He'll say, I'm starving. Folks, please don't get concerned. <laughs> we are not starving our children. We are not perfect parents. Nobody is a perfect parent. But generally speaking, we're doing the things that we should be doing as parents. You know, we are uh, regularly feeding our children, giving them meals, things of that nature. Is Noah starving? I think I can say with confidence that Noah has never been starving one moment in his life. I've been with him pretty much his entire life, all four years that he's been on this planet. He is not starving. He's hungry. He's uncomfortable. Because hunger is uncomfortable, isn't it? He's saying, I want to be. He's overstating his point. Or I remember when I was nine years old, I can't criticize Noah too much because I also did this. When I was nine years old, my brother and I, we were roughhousing uh, like boys often do, and we were fighting. And at one point, he pushed me down in my parents' uh, bathroom that was attached to their bedroom, and then he ran away. And when I stood up, I was too tired to go after him, but man, I was so ticked off, and I just felt this rage welling up within my body. So when I emerged from the bathroom, I took the door, and I pushed it open as hard as I possibly could. On the other side of the door was my parents' bedroom mirror. There was a dresser right there. The mirror hit up against the dresser. It cracked it in half. My body went stiff. My skin got pale. I said, oh, no. My parents are going to kill me. Now, as a nine-year-old, I knew my parents wouldn't literally kill me. But I knew they would punish me. I knew that I'd be in trouble, that there would be consequences. We use hyperbole even out today. Here's some examples of hyperbole that we often use. I'm so hungry I could eat a Can anybody really eat a horse? Would anybody want to eat a horse? Horses are beautiful creatures. We shouldn't eat horses. And besides, I imagine that horse meat probably isn't that tasty. He or she is as old as the hills. Really? Is anybody that old? Looks like some of you are nudging the person next to you. The hills have been there probably for thousands of years. Nobody's that old. I've walked a million miles to get here. No, you probably walked half a mile to get here. This one is often used by middle schoolers. Ooh, if so-and-so talks to me, I'll just die of embarrassment. Is that possible? Paul Schumacher, our uh, doctor in the back, is that possible for somebody to actually die of embarrassment? Medically, I don't think that can actually happen. Maybe we should have the paramedics on standby. 
Or finally, one more, that guy is as skinny as a toothpick. Nobody is that skinny. And so the point is, we use hyperbole today. People in the Bible use hyperbole. Remember the story of Noah, uh, right up until the flood, it says that Noah was blameless. Now, was Noah really blameless? Was he perfect? Of course not. But compared to the other people on the planet, Noah was pretty blameless. Jesus used hyperbole. Folks, remember when Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, what should you do? Chop it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Who here thinks Jesus meant that literally? Thank God that he didn't mean that literally. Otherwise, we would all be in trouble. So what was Jesus saying? He was saying, take sin seriously. Sin has consequences. It leads to destruction. Do all in your power by God's grace to abstain from sin. Word about what Jesus said, if you don't hate your father or your mother or your brother or your sister or even your own life, then you cannot be my disciple. Hold on a second. Didn't Jesus also say, love your neighbor as yourself? Love your enemies? What's all this stuff about hate? What Jesus was saying was, put me first. He wasn't telling us to literally hate. He was saying, put me first. Even put me before your family. That's how important I am. And folks, it's my sense and conviction that Jesus was speaking in hyperbole when he made these bold promises about prayer. It's not that Jesus literally meant that we're going to get whatever we want. What Jesus was saying was, be diligent in your prayers. Be bold in your prayers. Be courageous in your prayers. Be persistent in your prayers. Believe that God can accomplish the impossible because God can accomplish the impossible. Nothing is beyond God's power. An additional reason, I don't think we should take Jesus' words too literally, is let's imagine a world. Let's imagine a world where we ask God for something, whatever that thing might be, and we automatically receive it. Would you and I really want to live in that kind of world? That would basically make God into a genie, like the movie Aladdin, or a cosmic vending machine. You pop in a prayer, you get out whatever you want. That's not the purpose of prayer. Prayer is not a transaction. I say these words and God gives me this thing. Rather, prayer is the channel that facilitates our relationship with God. Prayer is the channel that facilitates our relationship with God. One of the best images of prayer that I've heard um, comes from my pastor friend, Charlie, who serves a church in Atlanta. In fact, Bob, I know you know Charlie and some others of you might know Charlie. And Charlie shares the story that um, one time when he was younger, uh, his parents were staying at a resort. He was with his family. They were staying at a resort, a very nice resort, and the resort was located on a lake where you could go canoeing. So Charlie woke up in the morning. Uh, his family was still asleep, and he decided that he was going to go canoeing by himself. So he got in the canoe. He was canoeing for a little bit, and then he decided to head back. Well, as he was heading back to the dock, unfortunately, his hands got slippery, and so he dropped the oar in the water, and then the current took it away before he could reach in and grab it. Now, fortunately, the current did push his canoe a little bit closer to the dock, but it still wasn't enough. He had nowhere to go. He couldn't move. So in that moment, he did the only thing he could think of. He just started screaming out, help, 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 help. Can somebody hear me? I'm stuck here on the lake. Somebody please assist me. Well, just then this guy showed up. 
And he had this frustrated expression on his face, as if he had dealt with this problem before. He put his hands on his hips like this, as if to say, seriously, are you going to bother me with this right now? The guy disappeared. He came back a moment later. He had a rope. He took one end of the rope. He tossed it to the Charlie. He took the other end. He tied it around the dock. And then he yelled out, pull yourself back. And then he walked away. <laughs> he had done all that he was going to do. So Charlie took the rope began to pull himself back. He says as he did this, it created an optical illusion. You ever have one of those before? It seemed as if he was pulling the dock toward himself. That's not what was happening. Docks don't move like that. He was pulling himself closer and closer and closer to the dock. That's prayer in a nutshell. As we engage with God through this miraculous channel, we draw closer and closer to the one who made us, the one who designed us, the one who loves us, the one who in Jesus Christ wants to have a relationship with all of us. Prayer is the channel that facilitates our relationship with God. And it's in this relationship that prayer facilitates that God invites us to share our concerns, doesn't he? God invites us to share our wishes, our hopes, our dreams, our desires, our fears, our worries, all those things, as it says so beautifully in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon God. Why? Because he cares for you. And folks, sometimes when we do this, sometimes when we cast our cares upon God through prayer, God gives us that thing that we're praying for. God gives us that, that miracle, that resolution, that outcome. Other times he doesn't. And listen, when he doesn't, and all of us have been there before, we're probably going to be there again. When he doesn't, it's not that God has stopped listening. It's not that God has stopped caring. It's not that God has stopped loving us. God absolutely loves us in ways that we will never comprehend. But rather, there is a great deal of mystery involving prayer. I know we've entitled this sermon series, Unraveling the Mystery to God's Will, and we're doing this to a degree, but there will always be some degree of mystery involving God's will, specifically involving prayer. On this side of heaven, we will not always know why God seems to answer some prayers, but not others. Here's what we can be sure of. Here's what we can take to the bank. That as we pull ourselves, or rather as we draw closer and closer to God through this channel, God meets us in our prayers. God picks us up. God cradles us in his arms. He gives us comfort and peace and assurance. And he carries us through whatever difficult season we're facing. Halloween is coming up, isn't it? Well, I remember two years ago. It was around Halloween. And Amanda and I were running some errands on a Saturday. And we had Hannah Noah with us. Now, Hannah and Noah are four and a half years old, so two years ago they were two and a half years old. CK, I can't count. And um, we were at the shopping center. I think we were in Winter Garden, something like that. And we wanted to go from one store to another. The weather was nice outside. It was a big shopping center. We didn't feel like getting in the car and then driving to the other end of the parking lot. So we just decided to walk. Well, as we were walking with Hannah and Noah, there was a store right in between where we had been and where we were going to. It was one of those spirit Halloween stories. You ever been there before? You ever seen these around the community? 
They normally become open toward the end of August, and they remain open until Halloween is over. Uh, you could buy costumes, decorations, things of that nature. Sometimes their window displays can be a bit scary, especially when you're a toddler, two and a half years old. So as we were walking, Hannah just froze solid. She refused to move. And she said, no, I'm scared. I'm scared. I realized what was happening. So I went over, and I picked her up, and I said, it's okay, sweetie. She put her head on my shoulder, closed her eyes. I walked right past that store with her. Prayer does not always take us out of a difficult season, but through prayer, God, our Heavenly Father, God, our perfect parent, God carries us through that season. That's what Jesus experienced in the midst of his own unanswered prayer. Even Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect one of God, even Jesus had a prayer that went unanswered. Remember, toward the end of his life, as his public ministry came to a close, Jesus knew that the religious leaders wanted to arrest him and crucify him. Well, listen to what happened when he was in the garden, the very last night of his life. This is from Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. It says, Jesus went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. This prayer wasn't answered as Jesus necessarily wanted it to be answered. He still went to the cross. He was still crucified. Yet God was with him. God used his death in a redemptive way. It led to our salvation. And that brings us to the very last point I want to highlight before we end this sermon. Even when our prayers aren't answered as we would hope, God's redemptive grace is at work. God's redemptive grace is always, always, always at work. In one of the churches, I served as a pastor. When I got there, I met this man. He's probably in his 40s. Really nice guy. And during one of my first conversations with him, he opened up and he shared his story with me. He said, Pastor, I'm married right now. My wife used to come with me to worship but she doesn't come anymore. And actually, to be honest with you, things aren't going so well right now. I keep praying to God that things will get better, but they don't seem to be getting better. And I'm really afraid, I'm terrified that we're going to get divorced. Sure enough, a few months later, it happened. They got divorced. He was devastated. He was heartbroken. But then sometime after that, he met this woman in the congregation, and the two of them began a relationship built on Jesus Christ. They dated, they fell in love, they got married. In fact, I had the honor of co-officiating their wedding ceremony. When I had gotten to the church, this man was going through a divorce. By the time I left, he had been remarried. God had redeemed his unanswered prayer. God can take our unanswered prayers, and God can take the pain and the hurt and the disappointment that come with them, and God can redeem even these things. Nothing is wasted, not a thing is wasted in God's economy of grace. Praise be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this channel that you have given to us. This channel that facilitates as we set our relationship with you. We know that in Jesus Christ you have made us for a relationship with yourself, that you love us so deeply. 
And yet, God, it does pain us. It hurts us when our prayers aren't necessarily answered as we want them to be answered. So remind us, God, that you are still good, that you are still working, and that your redemptive grace is still moving. We pray all these things in Jesus' holy name.